We are staring at the highest of the heights of the Christian. This is most glorious to us you know, here in Ephesians. You know, I've heard a uh, uh, preacher on the radio say exactly the same thing about the place that he was teaching out in, in Scripture. Where is that at? The height of the heights, the most important thing ever in the Scripture. What's that I mean, telling us? where he was, it just sounded just like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that telling us? <laughs> we're not in, he wasn't in Ephesians. What the heck? <laughs> what's that telling us? <laughs> hey, if you climb a mountain, you'll find that the higher you get, the harder it is to go. It, it, gets, it gets a little bit harder, right? I mean, and especially you might get winded, you know, you've been in high elevations. But it's worth it all, isn't it? The higher you go in uh, God's truth, it's exhilarating. And uh, mountaintop experience we see here in, uh, in Ephesians before we get to the real application section in chapter 4, I think uh, there's a staggering statement here that uh, in walking wisely, there are things that have to happen. That's interesting. Carolyn, last name used to be Walken, and we have a wise over here, Walken Wise. (laughs) That just, oh, okay, we'll move on. Stay with the script, right? Okay. (laughs) Um, Last week we were looking at being strengthened according to God's riches, right? According to the riches of His glory, we're to be strengthened with might. We're to be strengthened so that, and the next statement is, strengthened in the inner man. We're going to be looking at the inner man because we didn't get all the way through that. But that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that's that's a, a fully pregnant statement in the sense of uh, we're talking riches of His glory, we're talking strength and with might in the inner man, and then Christ dwelling in the hearts. And the thing is, dwelling in the hearts is something that we need to really look into. What what oh does that mean? What's what's the idea here? Uh, Paul's been praying. What does Paul pray for? Well. We saw some of the things that he didn't pray for. He didn't pray that the circumstances would change for himself, uh, being in prison that he was. Uh, he didn't say, hey, uh, oh, pray for me. Pray that I be freed from prison, although that would be a good thing to do maybe, but uh, that I could re- return to you Ephesians. He doesn't put up a general prayer. And he just didn't pray for a blessing upon the people, just a blessing. He is praying for blessings, but uh, he just didn't say, I I pray, Lord, that you just bless the Ephesian people. Uh, It's more than that. He's spiritual. He doesn't start out with the physical needs, although those are important. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, He was very preoccupied with uh, the spiritual lives of the people that he wrote to, the people that he taught. And uh, to Paul, the major issue is not the outer man and the outward physical things, but it's the inner man. The outer man is dying all the time. Dying, dying, dying. The inner man, at the same time, is to be renewed every day. Outer man perishes, the inner man being renewed. And so Paul's prayer is directed specifically at the inner man. That's really where he really cares about these people. And so he wasn't praying that they would just be made happy. Um, He has something even more than that. He's concerned about their spiritual growth, uh, how they know God, and uh, enjoying God. And what a, what a blessing that really is in turn. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we uh, bow our knees before you. In all humility, we recognize that you have come down into our lives, and not only have you saved us, but you're changing us daily. And may we ever be committed more and more to just letting you hack away at the sin in our lives that um, 
keeps us from knowing more who you are and being able to live that kind of life that would respond to the life of Christ. Uh, We just desire that your Holy Spirit would uh, show us in your word uh, how much more that we need to uh, be conformed to your very image, the image of Jesus Christ. And now we uh, look to you for you being our teacher, delivering uh, truth out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I was talking about he's concerned about their spiritual growth and not just that things would go, you know, just perfect in their lives um, because he knows that that's not probably going to (laughs) happen. He knows that he has been through many things and Jesus said much about tribulation, just a few verses on on some things of what the Christian life is about as far as the trials and tribulations. We've been through them many times. You probably see them constantly and experience them, but it's always good to be reminded why those come about. John 16.33, Jesus speaking to the disciples before He's crucified the next day. These things I have spoken to you, that in Me you may have peace. In Christ, you have peace. In the world, this is where we also live as far as our bodies are concerned, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And recognize that we are in Christ. That's where we find our peace while there is the storm going around. Acts 14.22, here's a guarantee. Just to be reminded... Uh, they went around uh, from to different cities, uh, strengthening all the new converts, and uh, said, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That sounds like Pilgrim's Progress, doesn't it? And of course, we saw many tribulations there, many different stops along the way. And uh, But we see there's a guarantee. We have to go through these things. That's part of the life that we live in. Philippians 1.29 For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. To suffer for His sake. That's been granted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Nothing like uh, having some encouraging words to start the Bible study off with, is there? (laughs) While there is sin left in this world, there will be troubles. That's the idea. Now, what we have to do is build up our resistance. And this is kind of what Paul is praying for as we look in um, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. You see, Paul knows that he's gone through many things and will go through many things, and he needs strength with might because of those tribulations. He knows that everybody else that's a Christian is going to have to have that too through uh, His Spirit in the inner man. We'll stop there. We build up the resistance in a similar fashion. I think you can compare it to the body. Now, the body has germs that it is constantly fighting. And they can become lethal, and those germs can destroy us. Now, I think of uh, Zach and, uh, of course, his, his son, Justice, who's body is really fighting the germs there. There's quite a warfare that's going on trying to to take those fingers. And so you keep praying about that because it's it's not good yet. It's uh it's it's bad. We don't know how bad it is. They haven't got the results. But the deal is when you have infection, the body has to deal with it. And so we've been given this mechanism, uh 
to resist attacks. And we don't know how many battles that our bodies win. They are constantly fighting. They win constantly because of all the germs. It's just sometimes the battle takes a little bit longer and uh, there's a little bit of a retreating sometimes. There can be infection, but there can be resistance to it. And we think of some of the things that can help us to prevent certain things like taking care of the health. Right kind of foods definitely help. Exercise definitely help. Then come along the drugs, the uh, prescribed drugs that can deal directly with invading germs. Uh, good thing, but the medicine doesn't build up resistance. It goes and attacks the germs, but that's all it can do. It can't be building up your body. So the matter that Paul is interested in is building up the resistance. Build that up so whenever the attack comes that you'll be so strong that you'll be able to fight it off and, and uh, you uh, will be able to take heart. Uh, go to Luke 18.1. Jesus has a little bit of an encouragement here. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So I would say prayer has a big advantage in being able to attack the germs or that sin that uh, is so much wanting to invade our lives. We always ought to pray and not lose heart. Keep encouraged. Don't lose heart. Keep that, that strength up. Hey, isn't there a radio show called that? Or something? Or the theme is, is based upon that? Take heart? Yes. <laughs> I think I... Wow, that voice sounds familiar. <laughs> Sick? Yeah. I hear that, I think, every day. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter four. You guys listen to Bot Radio? If you do, you can't you can't help but hear that that voice. Kind of interesting to hear it back there. Okay. <laughs> chapter four, verse seventeen. Oh, 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 verse sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart because of what he's already, he's already spoken about, talking about God's grace and 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 depending upon that and such. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal." That sounds like Yogi Berra there. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, Yogi didn't come up with this, did he? But anyway, uh, he's talking about don't lose heart. Um, here's what's happening. You're being renewed every day. You're being renewed. Body, certain things, it's dying. It's dying. It's on its way. But be of good cheer. Take heart. Don't lose heart. All right? Now, I think prayer is like, you know, it's been, always been said that it's like uh, breath. It's, it's the air that we breathe. Prayer is so important. It's the lungs of the soul. It's the, the oxygen uh, of the very Holy Spirit and His power. So we want to fill ourselves up. We want to fill our lungs up with the power of God's Spirit, uh, the very life of God, being filled with Him. So if we were to quit spending our time thinking on the things that defeat us and constantly thinking on those things, we'd be much better off if we were to build ourselves up on the most holy faith because we have to have this system strong because the attacks are going to continue to come. If we concentrate on this one area that seems to be defeating us, rather than looking at the great God and all the power that He has and the power of God's Spirit, um, then, you know, we can lose heart.
if you don't have the scripture to combat that thinking, that wrong thinking, you become involved with that thing. Would you say that's what strengthens you there, the Word of God? Something to draw upon, right? So just like, I think God gives us a lot of analogies in the body. You can look at that, and, and we are called the body of Christ. And then you look at it physically, the physical body constantly is fighting off uh, the germs, the, the, all the, the bad stuff. And, uh, and you look at it, we have spiritual warfare always going on. And sometimes we don't know all the things that are going on, but if we have equipped ourselves with the Word of God and we are in prayer, seeking out the Lord, and of course this, this whole prayer that we're in is really dealing with how we uh, are to be building ourselves up. talked in the beginning, and I guess I'm, I'm going backwards, this whole persecution thing. I mean, I don't see it in this country. I mean, I see it in other places. But I don't, I mean, have we created this uh, religious utopia in, the, in our United States because we, we face you know, are everything on, you know, freedom of religion. And, and it seems to be being chipped away as time goes on. I mean, they say that within five to ten years, and excuse me, against homosexuality will be considered a hate crime. You know, um, I mean, you know, I just don't see the persecution and the, and, and the tribulation. And, and I'm wondering, if, you know, are we not... Are we not doing enough to deserve it? Or, or, I mean, are we not doing enough that, it, that, that, we, that we would be persecuted? I mean, if we're, I guess if we were banging on everybody's door every weekend and trying to present the gospel to them, then sooner or later someone would shoot us. You know, is that persecution? I mean, that's an extreme way of looking at it, but, I mean, aside from maybe a snide comment at work or... You know, I mean, people are being killed for their faith overseas, and, and we're not, that's, we're, we're so far from that here. I think we're so far removed from it that we don't even recognize that what that it is persecution. I think that the Lord has kind of given us a little window here in this country. You know, I mean, you can look at other countries, and there was freedom there at one point in time, and they, you know, just as we are, they slammed the door shut, and and that's what I see. It looks like, you know, America has been blessed, and we've been given this opportunity that we have royally screwed up, and now the door is slammed shut, just like it did for the Jews. They were blessed and they were given, you know, I mean, the Lord gave them a great opportunity and they kept it all to themselves and they just screwed it all up and for the entire majority of the kind of like I think we're I think we're still, we're the, the tail end, yeah. We're, we're, we're gonna we'll get a don't get in a hurry. Well, no, it's coming. But like, it's like coming. You, know, you, you, you know, that passage in Philippians, okay? And, you know, we are called to stuff for the gospel. Yeah, I suffer economically because I give, okay? I don't have whatever, you know, I want or whatever. And there's a lot of people who give and have whatever they want as well. And we talked about that last week, so we don't need to go through that again. But, I mean, you know, suffering for the gospel, it just just seems so far removed from what what actually happened. We are coming from I mean, but there are, you know, I mean, it's a personal thing right now. There are people that that have not gotten promotions because they wouldn't go along with yeah. whatever because of their convictions. And so they're, you know, that's, it's, that's on a personal level. But it, it's coming, Bill. Well, I'm watching down what I'm seeing is that all the people and this is like you said, the destruction of the kids. Don't like we're doing right now with my sister, and to watch what her kids are going through, 
and the hopelessness they do not have because they have no family left. Well, like, for instance, the dad doesn't want uh, his daughter to go to church. It um, there's it, it goes to extremes, you know. Either way, all you know, anything from what we're hearing about in Muslim nations and all across the world, it seems like everywhere you go, pretty well, the persecution is much higher than what you'd ever even dream about here. Uh, down to the point of if you witness to someone about Christ and it makes them mad and then they start making fun of you or slurry or something. I guess you can take that. I don't. You know, I don't see that myself as a as a persecution. I guess in some degree it can be. Or, but people have lost their jobs uh, because maybe they are committed to, let's say, a Sunday working, or uh, because of their beliefs and they don't want to go out partying with the other people. So therefore, the pressure is put on them, and so it's either you be with us or uh, you're out. Uh, those kind of things. That, I guess that could be a mild persecution. Or if, if people are losing their jobs, that's that's pretty heavy, especially when you take uh, you know a family income away, which I, I've heard uh, of that. Uh, it's hard for me to identify like what what you're talking about. I think the church has had it. I guess you can say so easy, and we've become fat. And you think of the days of the early church when uh, Peter was writing; they were under heavy persecution, and through the uh, Nero and uh, uh, the leaders of Rome until uh, what around the thir- third century, third and fourth century, and all of a sudden it became uh, the cool thing, and the church was okay, and everybody it was a state religion, and everybody that was born in that empire, the Roman Empire, now was a Christian, and that is probably one of the saddest things because the church really had a a, a fatness to it, and who was really real in that. And for a thousand years that that went on, and you know, then the Reformation happened, and you did have a lot of persecution there, where people died, lost their lives because they stood for the Word of God. Even the pre-Reformation, it's been going on and on for thousands of years. Yeah, reaping the results of it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that people got that way. Well, you always heard the seed of the martyrs, or the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. <laughs> I think I'm being persecuted for bringing it up. That's right, you're getting it right here. <laughs> okay. Now. I brought that up. I started it, so I finished it. Now, move on. <laughs> okay. The inner man. All right. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. What's what's the inner man? I think it's one thing to understand your riches in Christ. And something else to get that ignition on. That's what we were talking about last week. It's one thing to know what the uh, the owner's manual says, to know what you've got there, but it's something else to turn that car on, to make it move, to get it going, to, to get all this power and all this resource that, that we have, all the riches you know, that, that we have, still it has to get up and be moving. You start by being strong in the inner man. It, it comes from the riches of His glory, and then you're strengthened with might. Then because of that, which means you're being controlled by God's Word. You're being controlled by His Spirit. Colossians says, being filled with His Word. Uh, Ephesians says, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The two go hand in hand. And so when that happens, the inner man 
is now opposite of the body or the flesh and all its functions. The inner man is what is is where the life is at. Of course, we looked at the Second Corinthians four. Uh, look in Romans, uh, Romans seven, where it talks again something like that inner man in verse twenty-two. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. That new man that's in me, that inner man, that one—that's the one that is to be strengthened. And then you look at First Peter, one, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we've been begotten by Him. And then, of course, it goes on to say uh, an inheritance, um, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then we know that we have the very um, uh, aspect of we are of uh, the family of God. So the inner man. And that's what we want to do. We want to continue to retreat to the inner man. Keep thinking, inner man. When you realize that your body is perishing, your outer body is perishing, it's fainting, you see the inner man is being renewed, and we don't depend upon circumstances, and we're not controlled by those circumstances, even though they're there. We don't want to be in one dimension. Because if we do, we'll become depressed, we become hopeless. My, how many times have we seen Christians be just hopeless, just depressed. But we have a new man. And I think it's in Second Peter, it says we have a divine nature. And that's implanted into us. That's that new man. Now what the, the, the devil wants to do is come in and discourage us and make us feel like we don't even have an inner man. You know, make us look at the circumstances. When we're strengthened, we should be able to climb and reach to uh, these great heights that Paul is talking about. Oh, that you could see these heights. That's where Paul is praying about. Um, where there's a strong man, you're going to have a result, a strong inner man. And what happens, the result is, is that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Here's the result. The result is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Or with the purpose that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The indwelling Christ. And that's the that's a big point. From from inner strength to the indwelling Christ. And that's that's where it's taking it now to the second point. And then that'll take you to being rooted and grounded in love. Christ dwelling in the heart. What's going on here? Is he praying for unbelievers, that they would become believers, that he'd come and dwell in our hearts? We already know that Christ is in us. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit is in us. And it's like, why would I pray that uh, Christ would dwell in my heart when he already does? Well, he's not talking about salvation here. In this context, he's he's talking about sanctification. Uh, it's that Christ would dwell that he had really lived there. The idea is, this word here, is kat oikeo. Oikeo is a dwelling place. It is dealing with making yourself at home. Kat is down. Down dwelling. Okay, that's the literal sense. I say, what does that mean? Well, the idea in, in the Greek would be to be at home. To really be at home. To be comfortable with. To settle down at that Christ would come in and settle down in your hearts. Um, you know, Revelation 3.20, it's used a lot in evangelism, and it's really taken out of context there. Um, in 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I'll come in and dine with him. Um, I will come in and I will be comfortable here. Um, I will make myself at home. John 14.23, maybe a little bit different uh, context. It depends on where you're at. But I think what we have here are apostles who are believers. 
in 14.23 of John, uh, says, Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, whether he's talking salvation here or sanctification, the idea there is that same Greek word, though, katoikeko, make himself comfortable. That the God would be able to come in and make his home there. To make a home amongst us. Um, how about Colossians? We know we are in Christ, right? We've seen that in Ephesians a lot. And then you hear that Christ is in us. Now that's the um, objective truth that has happened when we become believers. We know that. In Colossians 1.27, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Now there is the sense of you're saved, Christ lives in you, we live in Christ, but there's a sense where He comes in and makes Himself at home. He's saying when you have inner strength, strengthened with might, okay, then what you're doing is you're walking in the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit. Or the sailboat is being filled and moved along by the wind that comes up and just fills that sail up and moves it along. That's that's being moved by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. What what is happening when that when that is going on? Christ is really being at home in your heart. And I think there are a lot of Christians, really true Christians, who in in the saved sense, yes, they have Christ in their heart. They have the Holy Spirit living there, but. Christ is not dwelling there in the sense in being comfortable. Uh, You've probably seen people who are professing Christians and are Christians, but they're really not making Christ comfortable where they're at in the sense that uh, what Paul could be saying here. Um, In 1 Corinthians, for instance, he's writing for the most part to, to, to Christians, and he says, you're Christians, all that you are doing, um, for one thing, some of them had committing adultery. Sexual sins were going on. Don't you realize that you're joining Jesus Christ to a harlot? Now, wouldn't you think that that would make Jesus uncomfortable? So, I, I, And I think any sin is going to make Christ uncomfortable. Uh, the Spirit is grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, right? I think any kind of sin is going to sadden the heart of Jesus in, in that sense. But... Uh, Christ in my life, the question is this, until the Spirit of God controls my life, until I am being filled with Him, that is a command, He's not comfortable in that sense, in that He's not at home there. He's not in that comfortable sense. He can't settle down. He's always cleaning up the place. It's always getting dirtied. And the question is not, is is Jesus there? It's Is He comfortable there? Uh, Is he really comfortable in in our hearts? I think that's the issue that that Paul would be saying here. Uh, For instance, Abraham and then Lot. Way back in Genesis 18, you have where um, Abraham is going to have a son. And it's going to be Isaac. And... um, this this is good news. I mean, this is one of the greatest things that... This is monumental because there's going to be a seed coming out of Abraham and he's going to be this promised... or a promise that Abraham has had and it's going to extend all the way to the Messiah. There's a plan here God has. So the Messianic line was, was born. This was pretty important, wasn't it? Well, what happened is that God came to earth in what could be called a pre-incarnate Christ. In Genesis 18, he arrived at Abraham's home, the tent, with two angels. You guys remember that story? Quite a story. It's incredible. He just came walking down the path with two angels. 
And he's in the form of a human. However, that was, but it was something that, you know, Abraham could recognize and identify with. And uh, he comes there, and Abraham and Sarah, they take him in, and the angels. Can you imagine what kind of company that you are attending to? God and angels. Incredible. Important company, the most important company you ever have. So, later on in Hebrews 13, it says, be careful because you too could be entertaining angels. Unaware, right? So, what happened is Sarah really went in there and just whipped up this great, wonderful thing, you know. I mean, they had food and they had a feast. And God actually came into Abraham's house. Man, they had fellowship. This was an incredible thing. This was a mark in history that's just unbelievable. And so, you know what it tells you? That they were people that God was, was using, was going to use. They have been made righteous. They're living righteous lives, righteous people of God. And he was comfortable there. He was comfortable coming in their midst and supping with them and, and eating and drinking and just having a good feast. Abraham probably even served him a glass of wine. <laughs> and it was probably pretty good. <laughs> well, it's not in the New King James. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I mean, they, this was a feast, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is the best. And uh, Abraham knew that this was something special, really special. Well, you go to the next chapter. Genesis 19, and you see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Lot. Is Lot a believer? Yeah. You find that out in Hebrews 11. He's a believer. Lot was living in the city of Sodom, which he probably shouldn't have been living there, and it kind of got to him a little bit. The Lord planned to destroy those cities, and you notice that there are two angels that go into the city. Who's missing this time? The Lord's not with him. Uh, could you say in a way he's not comfortable there like he was at Abraham's house? The uh, Lord sent the angels, but he didn't go himself. He was comfortable in Abraham's tent, but for some reason or another, he wasn't comfortable in Lot's house, even though he had a relationship with Lot. But... It was different with Abraham, wasn't it? I think the same thing can be true of Christians. We have a relationship with God through Christ. All Christians do. But it doesn't necessarily mean... And I put this all in quotes, but I'm trying to take it the way that Paul is saying here. Um, Maybe Jesus just isn't comfortable in Christians' lives, in some of them. But when you're strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man then he becomes comfortable. That means you're filled with God's Spirit. He's controlling things. You yield to Him in whatever area that is, and you just let Him settle down. That's kind of the idea of oikot oikeo, to settle down to make your dwelling. And uh, he's not always having to keep it clean, just dirty all the time. He's just cleaning all the time. He keeps it clean. Well, he does do that to all of us. But have you guys ever read this little bitty book that's been around for a long time called My Heart, Christ Home? Anybody ever read that? Have you heard of that one? Uh, Robert Munger, I don't know, it probably goes back 100 years, maybe something around that area. What's that? What I Uh probably over in prayer and devotion it's kind of been there before just a little little it's a booklet it's an allegory and it's really incredible what it's saying it's it's like a it's like a person's heart and his his life is like a house okay so jesus comes to the house and he starts in um coming into the house and he goes to the library and of course the library is the control room of the house because what that's representing is our brains, where we get our thinking at. Um, like the Bible is our library. It's, it's our brain. This is how we tune our thinking to, uh, as far as Scripture is concerned. Jesus goes into the, wrong, uh, the room, the mind, uh, the brain, and, and he finds on the shelves, guess what? All kinds of trash, 
garbage books in there. Evil and bad thinking, bad human philosophy. You know how the world goes. And Jesus comes in there and just takes it off the shelves, throws it away, and puts the Word up in its very presence where it needs to be. Sets it right there. And, and so there's the, the library, the control room. Then he goes into the dining room. What do you do at the dining room? Well, you, you eat there, right? The dining room is representing the appetite, the desires. The desires, the appetites. What do you really feast on? So Jesus shows what really is happening. What do you really hunger for? What's, what's your hunger, right? So what, what do you really want? And what Jesus finds is a real worldly menu, a menu of riches, a menu that everything that the world has to offer, all the prestige, materialism galore, the lust of the flesh. He comes in there and takes it all out of the dining room. And guess what? He puts a new menu in there. Things that really satisfy our hunger. Uh, it's the will of the Father. It's, it's God's will. And so the will of God comes in there, and we know that that's what satisfies us. That's, that's really what it is. It's not those fleshly desires. So he's come in and cleaned out the library. He's come in and cleaned out the dining room. Next, he goes into the living room. And in the living room, is it's a place where you share with people, right? Uh, it's, it's a living room. It's where, it's where you have fellowship. And he goes in there and he finds out that that room has really been neglected. <laughs> there hasn't really been much fellowship in there. There's a lot of activity going on, but nobody really pays any attention to Jesus. It's just like the man in that living room or, uh, that lives in that home has his friend set down, never says hi to him. He, he just goes on about his business throughout the day, never says a word, never says welcome, glad you came over, never says anything, doesn't acknowledge that he's even there. <laughs> and Jesus is the same kind of friend sometimes where people just ignore him. They've got other things on their mind, other things to do, and his presence isn't really that important. Uh, but yet he's our friend forever. It's amazing that he'd still be there. But um, So the living room, it's a place of fellowship. But you want to have that right fellowship. And, and a lot of people spend um, their time with the worldly acquaintances and they spend their time with someone other than, than Christ. And they forsake themselves the assembling of uh, other Christians. And they miss out on so much. You spend time with Jesus and you spend time with His people. Um, that's important, isn't it? So, there's the living room. Well, then, Jesus goes into the workshop. He sees tools in there. Just fantastic tools. Great tools. Right? This workbench. And the man is in there and he's making toys. Nothing wrong with toys, but these are just toys. It's like this man has all this ability and he has all these tools that have been given to him, but he's using it to make worthless things. He's not producing things for the kingdom and the eternal value, but he's making treasures that are things for the earth that will burn up, don't mean anything. They have no eternal value. And uh, so we've seen the workshop is, is has to be made ready too. We have gifts that have been given to us. We have the tools and everything that we need to make things for the kingdom that God gives us this too. Well, there's another room. It's called a closet. <laughs> there's a strange odor coming from this one area. And Jesus walks into the closet. What is in the closet? It's nice and clean, but something stinks. What's, what's in this stinking closet? You ever done that? You went, what is the deal? I don't see it. It looks okay around here. Something really stinks. And the man says, please don't go in there. Look, you've taken all my rooms. Just leave me the closet. Just leave me what little room, the closet. You know what's in the closet? 
all the secret things this man thinks about and does and nobody else does, but they're hidden things. It's the closet full of personal sins, hidden things, dead things, and the man gets real angry because Jesus had every other room now, and now Jesus gives a command and he says, open it up. I want to clean that out too. All of these evil things were in there. Little secret things nobody ever knew about. Things that go on in our minds nobody will ever know. Those things you do when nobody ever sees you do them. And Jesus came in and cleaned that closet out. I'll clean your closet out. You've heard of cleaning your clock out? He cleaned everything out. And when he got all done, he was at home. That is uh, kind of an analogy that um, Robert Munger set forth. Uh, rather convicting when you think about it, because this is really where he lives. He lives. He lives in us. Uh, this this new man. And so when he says to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that could be thought of as that that inner man, that Christ may dwell. that he would dwell in your hearts. And the heart here is the very center of your personality. It's, it's your soul. It's the mind, the emotions, and the will. That's your soul. That's what you are made up of. The question would be, is, is Christ at the center of your heart or your life? Is he there? Christ is to dominate the life. He is to rule over it. He is Lord of our lives in a very practical sense. So that's a good question to always ask. Is Christ at the center of my life? And everything that I do, is He really there? Is, am I really letting Him rule there? Dwelling in the hearts through faith. What, what faith does, it reveals this now as a reality. We know that he resides in here in the theological sense, if you're saved. But then in the practical sense, by faith, um, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's the key to it. Uh, We can't see that he's at home. We have to believe that he is. And to believe that he is, is saying, okay, um, I'm praying that I be strengthened. I'm praying that whatever he wants, whatever he wants to do, that he can do it. And I'm reading his word and I'm finding out who he is and and what I need to be. And so if somebody says to you, well, how do you know Jesus is at home in your life? You can say, well, I believe it by faith. I trust in that. That's the only way I can do it. And that I, I confess my sins and he cleanses them. I know that. He purifies me. And I believe that by faith, if I'm being pure, and if I'm confessing my sin and repenting of that and dealing with sin and continuing to repent, it's not a matter of works, but it's something that He's working in us as we work it out. Philippians, I think, 2, 13. All by grace. You're thinking. Everything you know, you got a very sensitive personality and mind, emotions, and will. I mean, you know, yeah. And on my faith, I know that he's he's in there. But, uh, Is he comfortable, right? Well, it doesn't really look like it when somebody comes up and wants me to do something, and I think, yeah, I really like it. No, I tried that. Well, but I really like it. You know, and so there's that little short. The thing is, is that he's there anyway, right? (laughs) Theologically here, but Paul then also says, here's what I really want. I want you to be so strong in the Lord, being so led and filled by His Spirit, that as that is happening, that I'm being controlled by Him. So to be filled means in every area. Um, and, and granted, okay, we, we, we still sin, though. 
Okay? But the moment we... Yeah, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, look, look at... But there's a scripture that, that's kind of rolling around the back of my head somewhere about examining your heart. They always doing a examining yourself. Second Corinthians 13. Is that what it is? Actually, it's step seven of the No, there's a scripture that says that you you have to examine yourself all the time. To make sure you're in the Word. That's Second Corinthians 13. That's 13.5, yeah. I think. Yeah. Isn't that, doesn't that apply here? Because, I mean, if you're not examining yourself all the time to make sure that you're in the Word and that you're following, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't look like it. Well, it, I mean, I don't, you know, I kind of cringe when I think about sometimes when people look at me and I'm not really right there sometimes. And that can be uh, to a uh, uh, good to to a degree, you know. I mean, uh, if if you know you're a believer, and I don't think we're supposed to be going around doubting ourselves. Now, if we really have a question, if we're a Christian or not, that's another thing. That's up between that person and the Lord. But if we know we've been saved because of of His work and what He's done, and it's all by grace, and that's all I can count on. I can't do anything to satisfy Him anyway. But then, as far as Him working in us, we are to do what? As He works in us, we work it out. Being obedient. Well, look in look in Ephesians five, um, fifteen, for instance. The same book, same book of Ephesians that we've been in. See then that you walk circumspectly, or wisely. Five fifteen, and on, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That means the time that we have, buying it up, um, using what God has given us, because the days are evil. Now this was written back then, and. It's no different now. It's still evil. Then he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is all about the will of God. If if we're doing God's will, then we're letting Him be comfortable in our household. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is? He starts off, a lot of them were getting drunk and then such. Don't be drunk with wine and which is dissipation. But here's, here's the command. But be filled... With the Spirit, and where and he's talking about here's here's where the rubber meets the road. Chapter four of Ephesians and on through, and in chapter five he says, "Use the wisdom that God has given you." How do you do that? Well, be filled with the Spirit. And what happens when you're filled with God's Spirit? Well, you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You sing. You make melody in your heart to the Lord. You give thanks always. For all things, good things, great things, man, all the treasures, and then all the bad things that seem bad. Circumstance. Give thanks always, always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that's pretty heavy. Uh, boy, what's, that's, that's the walk. You've heard of uh, walking the walk? You know, we, we talk the talk, but do we walk the walk? Well, Ephesians gets into that. And, of course, there, if we're being filled with the Spirit, if you look in Colossians, you really get basically the same thing. There we were filled with the Spirit. Colossians is going to tell us in verse... Uh, oh, look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. There we go. The peace of God ruling in our hearts. That is strength, isn't it? Being strengthened. Letting God have that power there. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. There's a thankful. And and here we go. Earlier in in Ephesians chapter 5 it said, Let the Spirit control you, right? Be filled with the Spirit. Here it says what? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if we're letting God's Word dwell in us and we're biblene and we're filled with God's... then we're filled with God's Spirit. It's the same thing. If that happens, then we go around 
teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, everything, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. A lot like Ephesians. So if we are just being filled, being moved along with Him, that is by faith. The Spirit is controlling our life. Uh, we've become Christ-centered. I become clean. And He settles down in every dimension. And that is my mind, my emotions, and my will is now being controlled by Him. And my uh, that's where I have my peace. I think this is the answer to the question Bill talked about earlier, why we're not feeling the persecution because we're not there. If you go around acting like this to everybody you meet, you'd be persecuted. You'd be one of the That's right. Yeah, that just can't be. And a lot of people, you know, it, they, they hate that. Or they're... Quit, quit talking about the music. Quit talking about the baseball scores or the weather. And uh, talk about what he said here, the, the love of God. And you'll be persecuted. Let's try that tomorrow. <laughs> Let's see where that might take us. We also have to remember two things. First of all, you already know this. You don't lose your salvation and then get it back the next day and then lose it and then get it back right. the next day. Um, the other thing, I think Ray Comfort said it pretty, pretty well in his sermon that he gave on true-false conversion, and that is a, a, a believer slips into sin and a, a false convert jumps into sin. So there's, you know, so, I mean, we all sin, but there's a difference between going, oh, wow, I can't believe I did that, and, whoa, I can't wait to get to go and do that. Yeah, like in First John, it's Make it, it's it's constantly practicing that. That is your style of life. That is your yeah. mode. That's your nature. Just because you're not all right there, Jesus isn't moving out. No. You set him there, right? Right. He's still cleaning out. He's cleaning, but he's not comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in this in this term. And we have to be careful with terms, but I think in this context, that's why we would use it that way, knowing that's what Paul is praying for these Christians who, who do have Christ in their heart. They do have the Holy Spirit, but he is praying that Christ would be making his dwelling very comfortable there. Okay, yeah. but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if, if you're, I mean, you're still, it's not like... You know, I may not be there all the time, but I know when I'm not, and that drives me to prayer. I mean, isn't that what he's saying there, making him comfortable? I'm talking to him all the time. <laughs> well, that's where you, you're best at, when you're talking to him all the time. What does he say? Praying always. <laughs> then you, what you have is a Christ-centered focus. When we're praying always, that means we're being Christ-conscious all the time, knowing that we're dependent upon Him. We know He's there. Now, will we let Him come in and clean out every room that we have? Or there's some areas where we would rather Him say, No, 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 you, you, uh, you can't have that room. You can get that the other place, but you're not getting this. <laughs> One more aspect of that is that since God works through people, He comes in and cleans but he also calls in cleaning ladies and cleaning men <laughs> that come into your life that can either point things out or help you with certain areas. He uses cleaning people. Oh, that sounds like our Ephesians and our Colossians where it said admonishing one another, singing and you know fellowshipping. You can't, you can't be a rogue Christian. You, you, we need each other. Oh, absolutely. You can't, your, you can't do it on your own. How can people miss being with God's people? I don't get it. I don't understand at all. I, I don't see the excuse that people have. Well, we're all hypocrites, though. Well, we are. I have a question, Kenny. One thing uh, that I thought I heard you say was something like, uh, sometimes it takes a long time to confess. Yeah. What, what's a long time? Well, you know, I mean, I, I do something and not really... Sometimes I do stuff and I don't really 
think about it again until the next day, and then I think, wow, I never should have said that. <laughs> Whoa. You know, but sometimes stuff, you know, you, it takes a while to, to realize, oh, man. And that's what a whole walk is about with conflict. You know, he's shown us again and again. It's blush on it. It's attitude so if you are conscious of something though um, means you've been reading too much in the first place. No, I mean if you're conscious yeah, that you no, that, that's if you're convicted that you need to convict. I don't try to justify my evil nasty wicked heart. Sometimes I think I'm really good. I don't, you know, I don't know how you guys do this, but sometimes I think I am good. Yeah. And then it yeah, takes a couple of days, and then I say, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. The moment that the moment that comes up, then you know, oh, the Lord's going to work on this one, isn't He? Yeah. Hey, uh, one one last one last passage is what we'll close on this. It, Hebrews eleven thirteen. Look at this. These are the uh, ones that are in um, in the he- Hebrews eleven Hall of Faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. It hadn't come to them yet, but they, they looked to it. Look at this. But having seen them, that's number one, afar off, they saw that the promises were there. Even though it never happened while they lived, they still saw those promises, and it's for them. Having seen them afar off, then number two, were assured of them. And then number three, embraced them. And they even confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So they saw them afar off. They were assured. And then they they embraced all this. So what it is is that whenever we recognize that Christ needs to be settled down in every dimension of our lives, is that we want to recognize this and recognize all the promises that God has given. Noah saw the message, and then he did something about it. Okay, He recognized it. God told him to do something. He's obedient. He did it. Then to be persuaded of that truth. We see it. Then we're persuaded. And then we just embrace those promises. Even though they never really saw the fulfillment in their fleshly life, although yet it was fulfilled in their lives as God had come in there and controlled them. And they had that power. They had that sense. So, you know, Paul, just to finish this up, says, okay, I want you to be strengthened with power. And remember, that power is according to God's riches, His glory. In that inner man, that's where you want to be strengthened at. So that why? That Christ would dwell, really settle in in your heart. You'll never be able to confess sin You'll never be able to repent from sin, turn from sin, keep the rooms clean in the house unless the Spirit of God grants you the inner strength. And, and of course, you know we want to be seeking that inner strength always. It, it won't happen until we say, I want Him to control in my life. It won't happen. You're not going to repent and, and truly repent of sin uh, until you are strengthened and let Him have control. Otherwise, you're allowing or you're saying, my strength will do this. We always say, I know it's in the strength of the Lord. Well, how do you get that strength? And we're strengthened by prayer and the Word of God and, of course, you know, the fellowship that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, I can control this. So, you know, we want Christ to settle down in, in our in our lives and Otherwise, we'll be a constant, in constant anxiety. Uh, uh, and, and if that happens, what he's doing is constantly cleaning in a vigorous way, like chastening. That's how he cleans. 
He can clean really hard sometimes, and he has to chasten, which he does. That's a mark of uh, his own children. He, he'll ha- he, he chastens all of us. So what we do is we do what John Owen wrote a book on called Mortification of Sin, to mortify the flesh, and you'll get rid of the rubbish, and you'll be purified more and more. It's a, and it's, a, it's not one of those kind of things, boom, boom, magic, and it's all done. Because it's an ongoing thing. In Colossians, remember Colossians, Colossians, Ephesians, Colossians says to put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he starts mentioning a bunch of sins, just list them. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The ones who are not Christians, who he's going to judge, I'm I'm judging, look at this, that's the kind of lifestyles they have. So you want to put to death all of these things. And uh, so anyway, that uh, that inner man uh, has to continually be strengthened. So that's what Paul prayed for. Incredible prayer, isn't it? Ongoing, daily mortification of sin by the grace of God. Yeah.